0: This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson, and I'm your host today for this Truth and Focus program. We're taping a day at Nebraska Christian Studios, and my guest today is my son, Josh Teeson. Josh, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Josh is the lead pastor at Providence Bible Church. He spoke this morning at Nebraska Christian. He was our chapel speaker. He was a graduate from Nebraska Christian in 2004 and then later graduated from the master's seminary and has been pastoring now in Omaha for about a year and a half. Josh, before we get into your message today, could you tell us a little bit about what you saw as the spiritual benefits from you being a student at Nebraska Christian and you, again, you were here between 2000 and 2004 as a high school student, but what are some of the things that you believe were helpful to you as a student while you attended here?
1: Yeah, I think the exposure to just Christian theology, doctrine, Christian fellowship with other believers, finding some friends that I still have to this day that are encouragements to me that were encouragements then to live a godly life, those were some highlights, as well as just kind of thinking through how I wanted to serve the Lord the rest of my life, and that kind of being formational at that time, thinking through what that could look like being exposed to different things
0: here. Well, let's join Josh with today's message.
1: I'm number three in my family, and I am a little brother, and I have an older brother. Always trying to tag along with Adam, do what he did, be as cool as I thought he was, and I just always nagged on him, and I thought anything he did was so cool. but Being the big brother he was, he thought, I wasn't that cool, right? And he thought, you're kind of cramping my style. And so oftentimes he just kind of said, no, I don't want you to tag along. Let me do my own thing. There's things in life that can be very much unwanted sidekicks, but guess what? They keep coming back and back and back, and they keep saying, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. And then one of those things in your life that's going to nag you all through life that's not going to go away is this thing called suffering it's something that is as you'll find it's pretty common and it's not like if you reach graduation in May then okay now my life is going to take on a new kind of direction and there's going to be no suffering no sorrow and no pain that's not life and Peter knows that here suffering is something that is common but for most of us humans as we are We struggle with how do we respond to suffering? How do we respond with the right biblical attitudes and actions to when suffering comes, because it will, right? It's something common. How do we respond? That's what Peter is going to help us with this morning. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. To respond to suffering by rejoicing in Christ, by recognizing the blessing of suffering, by remembering judgment, and ultimately resigning your life to your faithful creator, resigning your life to God. And the first thing Peter tells us to respond to is to simply recognize it, but rejoice in Christ in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 12 and 13. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So the first thing Peter says, when you face suffering, don't let it surprise you, right? He says, beloved, and again you think of Peter, he loves these people, he's pastorally caring and shepherding for them. He says, beloved, dear friends, do not be surprised. Don't be shocked at the fiery trial, Pretty descriptive. It's not any trial. Don't even be shocked when bad things, very bad things, fiery trials happen. That word surprise is interesting. It has the idea kind of behind it in the original that don't let it be a foreigner. The root word has to do with being a stranger or a foreigner. In other words, don't let suffering be foreign to you. Don't act like it's a stranger you've never met before. Act like it is a common friend or maybe better a nagging kind of little brother. It's it's not going to come to you as a shock when it comes knocking and says, "Here I am. Do not be surprised." It comes and it comes even for a purpose to test you. And then not only go, "All right, I know it's going to happen." Here's the strange thing. Not only is it going to happen to you, but then Peter says something pretty radical. Because I think from a worldly, unbelieving standpoint, you could say, yeah, life's not perfect, Murphy's Law, anything that bad's going to happen, it's going to happen. But Peter says something very distinctly Christian. He says, in fact, look at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also, again, rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter is saying, put this in A perspective, put this in a context of all eternity and in light of redemptive history of what Christ has done. Rejoice. There's a realization that as much as you want to believe you can accomplish anything and as Disney has taught you all these years, if your heart, you know, says you can do it, you can do it. What you'll find in life is that this is not really your best life, especially as a Christian, you're looking forward to something, right, that is better, that is greater, There are lots of blessings in life, but ultimately, life will disappoint you, which is why, again, we look towards a perfect Savior. That's why you rejoice, because you understand Christ suffered and you suffer with him, especially when you suffer as a believer for doing what is right, and then you also understand that if you understand this life, you're not looking forward to accomplish everything, then you are able to then rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That is, when he returns... Or when you die and you go to heaven you understand this is far better you're able to rejoice think about any type of relationship between two sinners it's not perfect and when you have issues within a marriage one of the things that gets you past any kind of struggles and disagreements is when you kind of remember that you have a commitment to the other person and think of it this way when you pull out wedding pictures or photos, you remember that commitment. So you pull out the wedding pictures, you look at the DVD, and you remember the love you have for that person. Well, as Christians, you can do something similar. So I know you guys aren't married. There's not much experiential there, but think of it that way. You can pull out and look back and remember what Christ has done for you. You can look back at the wedding picture. That's the picture of the gospel, that we're wedded to Christ. And you can remember what Christ has done for you You remember that you've been saved from sin and death ultimately, and then in light of that, being in suffering for a little while isn't so bad. You put it in perspective by remembering what Christ has done. And you can't just simply put your life on cruise control and think, oh yeah, I became a Christian five years ago, I'm sure I don't have to do anything. No, you have to continue to be on guard, continue motivating your heart, continuing to foster that relationship with Christ, that's the only way you're going to rejoice in suffering, is if you fully love and trust Christ. That's the only time when you go through a trial, you're going to have that attitude of rejoicing. But besides rejoicing, there's another way to motivate your heart, and that's to recognize suffering as a blessing. So if you don't think Peter's crazy yet to say rejoice in the midst of suffering, then he's going to get a little bit even more crazy and say hey not only should you rejoice but you should count it as a blessing what does he mean how can it be a blessing look at verse 14 if you're insulted for the name of christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of god rests upon you but let none of you suffer as murderers or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler so if you're insulted for the name of christ in other words you're insulted because you're doing what is right or you're insulted because of what you believe is following Christ, there is a special blessing. You are blessed. In what way? He's saying because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's a way you respond to suffering, recognizing it's a blessing that leads to confidence as a Christian. This language, it's kind of confusing in one way. What, What is Peter after? What does it mean God rests upon you? Well, what he simply means is that when you suffer, you count it as a blessing because you suffer as Christ suffered. And when you do it with joy, and when you come out the other end more faithful than you were before, it confirms your salvation. It's a confirmation that the Holy Spirit indwells you, it's confirmation that what you profess is actually true. That is how it becomes a blessing. There are a lot of inspiring stories throughout church history of Christians who have died for their faith and so you read those stories and you're inspired and one of the stories you you guys may not know as well as some others is actually one of the ones that I think has the most twists and turns and it's a story about a English martyr named Thomas Cranmer and Thomas Cranmer was an archbishop in England in the mid-1500s. He was the main guy who brought in the Protestant Reformation to England. So if you know your church history very well, or history in general, Henry VIII, bad dude, didn't leave the Catholic Church for necessarily the good biblical reasons, but he left because he wanted to divorce his wife. But the main theologian that took that and then promoted the Protestant Reformation in England was Thomas Cranmer. Well, it didn't last forever. When Henry VIII's son, Edward VI, came to the throne, he didn't come to the throne very long, and eventually he died. Well, when he died, there was, of course, a power struggle, right? Everyone wants to be king. Everyone wants to be queen. And unfortunately, the Protestants lost. And Queen Mary, as you know, Bloody Mary became queen. And she's not called Bloody Mary for nothing. And she came from a very strong Catholic background. And she blamed Thomas for all the reforms. And so she began to persecute the reformers outright throughout England. And there were three men who you kind of know very well through this story as far as their fame. Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, and Thomas Cranmer. Well, what happens? She finds them and she's going to say, recant or die. Well, right away, Hugh Latimer and Ridley say, we do not recant. We, we do not, we believe that the Pope is wrong. We believe that they have not preached the true gospel. We will not recant our teachings. And so Queen Mary says, fine, to the stake, and she burns them. But she doesn't do so with Thomas Cranmer. She she hates him even more, so she takes him to a tower and she makes him watch his two friends burn at the stake. And she says, recant your teachings publicly and I'll spare your life. Well, Thomas Cranmer does it. He says, fine, I deny the gospel and spare my life. And so she spares his life. Well, she doesn't spare it for long. She decides she hates him too much and says, you're going to die anyways. So she brings him and says, but first I want to bring you to a public recantation kind of service. So she gathers people, sends him to the pulpit to make his official statement that he denies all the doctrines of the Protestant Reformation by faith alone, embraces the Pope and the Catholic Church before she burns him. And what Thomas does is he gets up and instead of doing that, he actually says, I recant not of the gospel but I refuse the Pope and refuse Catholic doctrine and I'd rather die for the sake of the gospel then of course that makes Queen Mary unhappy and so she takes him down quickly and rushes him to the same stake that his friends were burned at and he says that with the hand that betrayed his heart where he signed his recantation denying the gospel he said that would burn first and that's what he did when he goes to the stake history would tell us that he then takes his right hand And he puts it in the fire first and lets it burn because he's so ashamed that he denied the gospel earlier. Well, what are we to think of Cranmer? And that's a man who suffered, right? It was either deny the gospel or die by burning at the stake. And not only is he an interesting story because he did do it, and I can relate to that, what would I do? Someone said, you can live, just deny the gospel. I, I can understand humanly why he said he denied. But when it came down to it, He ultimately was proven to be faithful and said, no, I'd rather die and die faithful. And in that way, that suffering confirmed that Thomas Cranmer was truly a believer. That's kind of what suffering does. It tests us to see whether you're truly a believer. Recognize that there is blessing in suffering. But also recognize that attitudes, actions, the decisions you make will be judged Remember the judgment. Look at verse 17. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteousness is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Well, one, look back at verse 15. We're not to suffer because of sin, right? There's no blessing if you're suffering because you're doing wicked and evil things, being an evildoer or a meddler, as Peter says. There's no blessing in that. But also, remember the fact that there is judgment. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, for it is the time of judgment to begin at the household of God. In other words, judgment happens first in this life, not so much on unbelievers, but judgment comes to believers in, again, that sense of testing and in trial. The judgment comes to find out who's being obedient, who's being disobedient. Life will test to find out which one you are. You want to summarize what Peter's saying? Peter is simply saying this. He's saying, guys, it's not easy being a Christian. That's his point. It's not going to be the easy life. Well, that's no different than what Jesus said. I want to flip over quickly. We'll look at John 16. You look at the words of Christ as he is about to go to the cross right before his betrayal. He's instructing his disciples. He's encouraging them. Chapter 16, verse 20. He's reminding them that they will suffer, that there will be sorrow, but that it will turn to joy. Verse 20 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And you see Jesus' words, and this is more in the particular immediate context of the cross, and that they will be sorrowful for their savior their friend will be taken from them and he will be crucified but the world will rejoice because through that suffering there will be salvation yet you can make the implication again to life that there's going to be tribulation but take heart christ has overcome the world and those words are extremely comforting to remember because that is life life will be tough life will bring sorrows but you hold hope and you trust in christ that ultimately it will turn to joy. You think of, Jesus has his illustration of giving birth. My wife is seven months pregnant. So we're getting close to the end. We we have one child who's, Owen's almost two years old and we have another on the way. And so we're eight weeks away. And pregnancy is one of those moments where you're going, this is not the easiest thing in the world that God has given to humanity. And there's reasons for that. If you go back to Genesis 3, right, you look at the fall, there's some, cursing that happens there, childbirth becomes very painful, and you not only have the birth experience that Christ mentions, but you have the whole nine months leading up to it. It's a tough time. You got a two-year-old running around, and and you're not feeling well, and you're not resting well. You're obviously kind of getting bigger as the baby's growing. That makes life a little bit difficult, and Jesus' point is about birth. What? It's worth it. You kind of wonder and trust me if you talk to mothers right after birth they will kind of go maybe I'm, I'm done having kids not again right they don't want to go through that experience again but you ask them a few weeks later a few months later they start to forget about that my wife forgot i mean i remember when we had owen and, and what was going on and, and i'm kind of wondering like she's so excited and i'm going I, I don't think you remember quite right what happened and how hard that was for you but she said it, it's all worth it it's all worth it because of owen And it's all worth it because of this baby. That's Jesus' example. It's worth it to be faithful because of the reward. There is suffering, but it's worth the suffer because there is a reward. There's a cost, but there's a benefit. So you think of cost-benefit analysis. You guys are students, right? So is it easy to get an A? And the smart kids who don't study just don't say anything. But for the rest of us, is it easy to get an A? Usually not. It's going to cost you something. You're probably going to have to give up maybe TV for a night to study for that test. You might have to get up early and give up sleep to study for that test. But it's not going to come free. I mean, at least it's going to cost you paying attention in class. That's probably one of the hardest lessons I learned. Is, it's like I had to pay attention in math class, and it was like, oh. And then I got good grades. Go figure, right? There's a cost-benefit. That is what Jesus' illustration is for the Christian life. There is going to be suffering, but it is worth it because of the benefit of not only heaven— but the benefit of having and treasuring Christ. Jesus said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Short gain, massive loss if you gain the world but lose your soul for eternity. Well, the first thing, examine yourself. It's pretty obvious implications here. It's do you believe the gospel? You got to examine yourself and say, Do I truly believe that is true about what Christ has done, that he lived a life perfectly for me, that he died a death for me, you have to ask yourself, do I truly believe that, because you better believe it, otherwise, if you don't, trust me, you'll get to college, people will make fun of you, and you'll just say, are you a Christian, and you'll be like Peter was when he denied Christ, and they said, you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you, and Peter said, no, 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 you you have me confused, Peter didn't want to pay the cost then, but Peter, again, learned that it is worth the cost, you have to ask yourself, do I believe? Secondly, if you do and then you suffer a trial and if you come out the other end and you actually believe the gospel still and you come out the other side with a stronger faith, you can take encouragement from that, right? If you've had a great loss and you're still a Christian, that says something. That you haven't said I hate God. I deny him. Even in the midst of it, you trust him and you say, "I'm going to trust you and believe that what you are doing I don't understand, but it is good and it is true. You come out with a stronger faith. I used to love wakeboarding, and I put that in the past tense because it's honestly been years since I've actually been on the water, but I used to love it. I go out whenever, whenever I could, and I have a couple funny boat stories, and one of them is my brother is the gifted builder in the family, right? I read books, and I preach. My brother is the one who should build things, not me. But I got in my head, if you know anything about wakeboarding, you see the big boats with big towers, right? Or sometimes you see poles. And the reason they're there is when you're doing tricks and you're doing a jump with wakeboarding, if the rope's down low, it's basic physics. You try to get up, rope pulls you down. So it's a bad news when you're trying to do something, trying to flip upside down, right? But you put a tower on the boat, you put a pole on the boat, get the rope up top. Now you do a trick, rope pulls you up. Common sense, right? Well cheap 1986 Citation boat with, you know, 130 horsepower. I'm figuring, that makes sense. I bet that'll make me a better wakeboarder. But I, being the poor high school student, say I can't buy that, I can't buy a tower, I don't know how to weld, so I figured, you know what, I'm just gonna go to the store, I'll make it, right? So I go to the hardware store, I buy a two inch stainless steel pole, I buy three ratchet straps and some wood to build a box to kind of hold it in. And so I put it in the bottom of the boat, I kind of build my box to kind of support it, ratchet strap on the front, two ratchet straps in the back, and I put my rope on the top i this is pretty good. I didn't I didn't need to pay for this. This is a pretty good deal it cost me like 35 bucks. I'm pretty proud of myself and it worked for about like two or three weeks and then it snapped and basically broke my windshield and I went maybe I shouldn't have tried to build that thing and trust me there was another time it broke and one of my friends was in the boat and I was just glad no one died and I thought you know it was a good idea I thought to maybe build this thing I thought I'd save some money it wasn't worth the danger that I put, right? It wasn't worth the cost. Well, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps in the midst of suffering. You, you're not gonna be able to do it yourself. You're not gonna be able to make it yourself. You're gonna have to go to someone who actually knows how to get you through suffering, and you're gonna have to lean on Christ and be dependent on him. And if you try to be more righteous or be more holy on your own or be, have the right attitude on your own, you're not gonna do it. Try to build up yourself. It's not going to work apart from being dependent on Christ. Again, be motivated by remembering the judgment. Well, Lastly, remember that you are to resign yourself to God, which is really what we're talking about in that last point. Resign yourself to God. Look at the last verse, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God, God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So if you're going to suffer, and you're going to suffer as a believer, this is a summary statement. This is, therefore, all these things we've been talking about, let's just summarize them. And let's summarize an action step. What is the action step you can take away? Let those who suffer, which being, okay, it's common, right? Don't be surprised it's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to Christians and non-Christians. Suffer according to God's will, and entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust. Trust yourself to another person. This is the idea of stewardship. You're going to entrust yourself to another one, It's actually the exact same Greek word that Jesus uses on the cross. It's the exact same word that when Christ says at the crucifixion, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, commit, that's the same word. When Christ is dying, he entrusts himself to his heavenly Father and Christ is to be our example. When he suffered, what did he do? He didn't get out of it. He didn't simply call on angels and say, it's not worth it. In fact, he said, it's, the suffering is worth the salvation of my people. And he simply committed himself to God who is a faithful creator. You trust that he knows what is good and what is best for you. That's the best thing I can tell you is say, trust God. And it's a simple phrase, but trust me, it's more powerful the longer you live. When I lived in California, I had a freak Freak, freak surfing accident. One of those things where it's almost somewhat embarrassing because it didn't involve sharks. Although if you actually, if I brought a picture, you could see my board, it, it looked like a shark got it, but there was no sharks involved. Freak accident, paddling out in the water, waves coming in, it's embarrassing. They're like one foot waves. It's, it's, it's a really calm day. It's not even the, busy. it's a really busy beach and it wasn't even busy. And a longboarder, new surfer, accidentally hit me in the head. And I get caught in the undertow. My board hits me here. As the doctors told me, this right here, Side of your head, softest part of your skull. And so I go into the ER, because I'm bleeding out, I'm cut up all over. I'm sitting in the ER, and I'm starting to figure out this is bad, because one doctor comes in, you're going, all right, that's cool. Second doctor comes in, you're like, interesting. Internal med doctor comes in and starts to talk about how you have seawater in your brain, and going, we're a little worried here, we're going to go get some samples from the sea, ocean, figure out what kind of antibiotics to give you to combat what you just got inside your brain. And another doctor comes in, and they're all whispering, you're going, this is not the best thing that's happened to me i thought maybe I was gonna get stitches and they're like no no well doctor comes to me and says all right here's the deal we don't know what's going on you might be bleeding inside your brain which basically means if that's the case you're, you're dead we can't help you really but he said we don't know what's going on two there might be swelling on your brain from the dent you just put in your head or three really if we leave it alone you might be okay but you're probably gonna develop seizures because of the pressure so really the only option is surgery and okay so they give me a sheet of paper, and if you guys have been in the hospital before, what do they give you? They give you a paper that says, if we kill you, you won't sue us. Which is really ironic, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to sue you from, like, six feet under. No, I'm not going to do that. And you just, you know, you're just, whatever. I got to sign it. I got to entrust my life to you, because if I don't do it, this is going to be bad one way or another. I couldn't Fix myself. I can't do brain surgery on myself and pop my skull out. And so he explains, don't worry, we'll go in there. It's like, a, your, your skull's like a ping pong ball. We'll just pop it out. Put some pressure, pop it out. No big deal. I said, okay. So I went in, they popped it out. Lord willing, I'm here speaking to you. It's no big deal. But I learned a pretty powerful lesson, and I thought of it studying this passage. There are situations in life when you suffer where you better entrust your life to someone who knows what they're doing. And in suffering and in life, and ultimately in death, The only person who knows what he's doing is Jesus. The only person who knows what he's doing is the one who's actually suffered and died and been raised again. He's the only physician that can truly understand your soul. So when you look at suffering, I mean, look at these things and and try to think, how are you going to rejoice? How are you going to recognize it as a blessing? How are you going to remember in the midst of it, oh yeah, but my actions are going to be judged, I want to be faithful. Well, really, the solution is the last point, right? Ultimately, resign yourself to your faithfulness creator
0: you've been listening to a message by pastor josh teeson he's a pastor at providence bible church in west omaha for my co-host josh cumston this is gordon teeson thanks for joining us as we encourage engage and equip christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus